Well, Phil, should we should we get things started? I think we should. Well, yeah. Yeah. So we've um, got an hour to essentially, you know, to reintroduce the format of these AMAs. We like to kind of start with a theme, but um, really, it's it's an opportunity for anyone to submit questions to Phil either prior to this AMA and get his thoughts on various hot topics or for those in attendance to ask Phil uh, anything. Um, and, you know, for us, we like to put him under the spotlight and put him under pressure a bit. So I invite all those who are in attendance to submit any questions on the chat function. Um, but yeah, Phil, first AMA of 2024. I know. And the 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 theme of this AMA is sales topics to watch in 2024. Okay. So I just wanted to start with where your head's at, really. Where my head's at, golly. Um yeah, I think um I think 2024 is going to be quite a tough year, you know, if we're looking at the various events going on in the world and the impact it's having you know on the clients that we're working with so we're we're yeah so i think it's going to be a fairly fairly challenging year i know we, we we've got at a macro level a huge number of countries going to vote for different prime ministers and presidents or whatever so there's going to be a changing of the order i suspect uh, also, you know, potentially in the UK as well at the end of this year. So whenever there's sort of political uncertainty, you tend to get some caution around investment that's being made um, in business. And that's absolutely going to have a filter on down effect into the kind of projects that customers want to invest in. Therefore, uh, therefore, perhaps at a very general level, make it more challenging an environment. But of course, they're going to be, depending on which sector you're in, they're going to be sectors that are going to thrive and sectors that aren't going to thrive. So it's very much based on the kind of nature of the business that you're in. But um, yeah, so I think, but overall, I think it's going to be a fairly, fairly tough year. But we, you know, we've had that in the past and, uh, um, and you know, we've navigated the pandemic in the past, but uh, you know, I think that change and transformation, as we talk about so much on these uh, conversations, is something which is a kind of, it's a given now. You just have to deal with it as best as you can. So generally, yeah, I think if we're looking at, you know, what's the business environment going to be like, I think it's going to be fairly, fairly challenging, fairly tough. Yeah. And um, just following up on that, from the, you know, from the different clients that you're uh, speaking to at the moment, are you are you hearing any kind of common themes that they are concerned about in twenty twenty four? Do you do you feel like there's a a shift in pace, or what can you um, what can you take well, from the current conversations you're having? That's generally one. I mean, we're we're dealing with with companies in the industrial sector who you know rely on steel steel imports. So what's happening in in the Red Sea and around that is affecting supply chains. You know, I think it's it's not just heavy industrial, but we're definitely getting that. We've got, of course, the the significant um, 
I don't know whether revolution is too strong a word, but we're seeing the impact of AI and, you know, you know how technology is actually Im impacting customers. I mean, one of our clients has re recently announced uh, sort of 8,000 redundancies, um, but, 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 but not, uh, not just because of the economic climate, but actually because they see AI now being able to automate a lot of the roles and functions that are happening inside the organization. Um, and I think that we're going to see a lot more of that sort of kind of moving forward. So yes, there's this sort of AI driven business models that are um, evolving is something which uh, I think is going to affect every organization that we, we we're dealing with. Mm. Yeah. Okay, well, thanks for that. Um, I thought I'd just jump straight into some of the, the questions that were submitted prior to the webinar. Um, we have a question from Ian Jones, who's usually a regular, but couldn't actually attend this one. Um, yeah. Ian said, the form and substance of many sales relationships were destroyed in 2020 by the lockdowns. Is there yet a clear pathway to a new form and substance for the relationship that will satisfy customers and reward salespeople in 2024 and beyond? Um, I mean, that's it's, it's a it's a pretty big question, and um, I think definitely uh, there has been a, a huge impact, sort of pandemic induced, about the whole nature of the way salespeople engage with with customers and I, I think what we're seeing at the moment is a reverting back to um, the importance of client relationships and face-to-face -face contact um, which I think can only be a positive sign because I think a lot of the magic that happens between a you know, a salesperson and a, and a client and the innovation and the brainstorming you can do is is enhanced if you can have that personal contact. So I think from, a, you know, if we're if we're going back to the specifics of the of the pandemic, I think we've we've moved away from the relational side of things. Uh, because of what's happened in the past, and we're re-emerging now into the importance of face-to-face -face contact, and uh, and uh, we may lose a little bit in the productivity of salespeople in terms of numbers of calls that you can maybe go on, um, but um, you're going to see an increase in the depth at which innovation can take place and collaboration can take place. Mm. Um, but I think in part, we're also going to see, as we maybe have talked about before, is a, is a focus of the sales models that are introduced by customers to focus more on the key accounts with a face-to-face -face direct selling kind of model, and then working either through channel partners or through inside sales teams you know, to keep that frequency of contact going with perhaps clients that don't merit that kind of um, closeness of relationship as well. So I think we're going to see continuing re-evaluation of, of the complete go-to-market kind of models that clients, uh, clients adopt. Hmm. Kind of um, brings me on to the, the question that Ben Long actually asked, which is, 
Um, quite a broad question, I think, but he, he submitted, how important are relationships when it comes to enterprise sales? So I guess he's asking, you know, is there a difference between the importance of relationship when it comes to enterprise sales and non-enterprise sales? And, um, and how is it best for businesses to record uh, the importance of relationships despite them not appearing on any balance sheets? Oh, right. So question from Ben Long from QA. Thank you, Ben. I think this, uh, perhaps he's read a chapter of, of, of the book, uh, Selling Transformed, uh, with relate, uh, in relation to the balance sheet kind of question, or perhaps even a previous AMA. Um, I mean, I think I've part covered the enterprise angle. I mean, enterprise accounts typically are your larger accounts, aren't they? And I think that relationships are, are so important, you know, for selling into your large accounts. Um, I think that the way re the relational value is measured, um, which is asked, is, is something that we've looked at inside Consalia. And we've started to develop some metrics around uh, the level of people that we're talking to, the frequency with which we're talking to people, um, the propensity of uh, of us to track is the is it us pushing the relationship forward or is it the customer pushing the relationship forward to us? Um, and this has helped us keep track of you know which accounts are we deepening and broadening our relational contact with, and which accounts perhaps we aren't doing that on. And so uh, we use a particular application called IntraHive, uh, and um, it sits uh, behind our Salesforce um, CRM and behind Microsoft uh, Outlook. And it enables us in the background just to keep a track of, you know, where our relationships currently sit and, and, and indeed are they progressing. And uh, it, it throws up some really interesting information and data. You know, perhaps there are people inside the company that, that one wouldn't expect to have strong relationships with important decision makers. And we found that to be the case. So, um, yeah, I, mean, I think it is absolutely, um, you know, the tools now that we have at our disposal uh, not just through IntraHive, but other tools as well, enables us to really get to understand where the relationships sit and who are, are, are our ideal customer profiles and personas that we need to be selling to. Great, thank you. Um, Ben's also asked, uh, what do you see as the difference between enterprise and regional sales in terms of method, approach and, import and importance? I suppose enter enterprise sales could be more global and regional, more geographic, um, sort of just trying to get a sense of what might behind um, the kind of question. Um, enterprise sales could involve having to work with virtual teams that cross different cultures um, and therefore adds more to the complexity of managing those large scale enterprise uh, relationships. Um, so yeah, I think it, there's more complexity with enterprise sales given that the accounts might be that much more global 
and the virtual teams that you're managing are that much larger. Um, but many of the, you know, many of the drive, you know, there, there are many similarities as well in terms of how you create value, whether it's value at a regional level or, or value at, a, at an enterprise level. So without knowing a bit more about what's behind uh, Ben's question, you know, difficult for me to answer. Sadly, Ben's not with us uh, to, to give us more in information. Okay, well, if Ben hears this webinar and has a follow-up question to fill, then uh, yeah. <laughs> please do follow up with us. Um, okay, I'm going to change the tack a little bit. We haven't had any questions submitted so far to you, so I'm just going to continue um, continuing down my list of questions. But um, we ran a survey a few weeks ago on LinkedIn uh, to see what people thought would be the most important topic of 2024. And I must say, I was quite surprised with um, with the with the results. Uh, I would have thought it would have been AI as the outstanding winner. But um, could you could you guess what the, the winner was? I can see you probably have it in front of you. So it's probably not much of a guess. <laughs> I do I do have the answers here, but I'd be very interested to know what those attending <laughs> would say, but uh, as to be that the 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 highest score. So if I could just uh, sort of read out the headings, we had ethical stroke green selling and sustainability as one area. We had utilizing utilizing AI as another. We had data driven selling as another. And we had collaboration and marketing as another. So we had these four themes, yeah, that emerged from the poll. Um, and the question is, I think the question that you're posing, well, was which is the one that it was felt through our LinkedIn survey was the one that was most ticked. Yeah. I don't know whether, I don't know, Shona, Will, Lindsay, Lee, is it Sham Shamez or Sham? And Alan, would you like to put into chat maybe what you think? As Shona says, data driven. Will is data driven. Okay. Lindsay Lee. Alan, any, 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 it's interesting. I think Arthur Zilberman would be very happy about this one, don't you think? Kind of like uh, Jim, like to see ethical, <laughs> right? Okay, it's good to uh, see your chat. And really, it's great to see you taking part in this as well. I think it's sort of might be James with it. Oh, sorry, James with a ch. Right. <laughs> Thank you. Um, right. So let's just go through. Uh, yeah, the results we had of those of those headings was that data driven uh, was the one that was most widely ticked. And um, let me uh, let me go back to Shona. But Shona, do you mind? It's lovely having you on the uh, call. By the way, Shona, lovely meeting you last week. Um, why data driven? Are you able to unmute? Are we able to unmute Shona? Don't know if Shona's. Mic. You you will have to. Uh... Right oh, how do I do that? Phil. Okay, allowed to talk. Oh, there we go. Shona, I've just allowed you to talk. I feel very special. 
very <laughs> special that I've been allowed to speak. Um, yeah. Lovely to see you, Phil. Lovely to see you last week. Nice to meet you, Will. Um, well, for us, data-driven is something that's really um, important and we're going through a big global transformation of our software so that we can absolutely do that. Um, we've got lots of data in all of our businesses, I'm sure, but do we actually leverage that to then go on to have a sales proposition that meets what customers are wanting, the consumers want. So yeah, that I think for me, that's the reason. And if, do you mind me asking what sort of, when you talk about data, are there any specific areas of data that the organisation is looking at or is it all encompassing? Um, it's all encompassing, but I, I suppose um, the forefront of mind at the moment is um, repair. So I work for Autoglass. Um, yeah. And it's all about that repair rate and customer consumer behavior. So having that data and being able to feed that into kind of what we do is, is quite key to keeping obviously um, insurance claim costs down and all of that kind of stuff. And obviously ADAS is growing um, hugely. It's about 5% year on year. So that's something as well, looking at technologies and just kind of how we can work with our insurance clients, our fleet leasing companies to kind of help with those increased costs yeah okay that's great thank um, you. You, want, you can mute me again I feel I like <laughs> no no it's great no it's, re it's really interesting um I didn't have time to go through everyone you know on on the chat at this stage but I think from our experience of working with clients that um that there are very few organizations that we work with feel as though they've got a complete handle on all of their data-driven requirements that they need to have to manage the business. It's a huge, it's a huge activity to ensure that across, you know, whether it's from demand gen to like you were saying, showing a sort of client retention, customer retention, right through the life cycle of a customer being able to sort of have the right dashboards, have the information in a way that is fully up to speed, up to date with information that you kind of believe in um, is something that I think few companies from our experience have got, you know, 100% fixed. And perhaps that's the reason why, Will, um, the data-driven stat that we've seen is, is mentioned is because um you know just because it's so hard to do yeah. um it's quite quite interesting some previous research that i quote I, i've cited actually in the book selling transform talks about the amount of money that organizations invest in crm and if you take crm to uncover all of those those, those data areas and it's millions and millions of dollars actually go into you know the whole crm kind of investment process um but the marginal gain that you could get from managing that crm is quite elusive and hard to get um with with it demonstrating perhaps not the kind of roi that you would hope to get considering the amount of investment that goes into it and it takes an awful lot of self-discipline and discipline to actually get the data into a system that 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 um, you know that that, that works, um, so yeah, 
it's uh, it's it's a it's such a big topic, and it's it it maybe is going to be that journey into data driven insights for the selling organization is going to be enhanced through the advent of AI and other tools so that more of what we do gets automated. You don't have to think about it. And it it it, um, it works in the background to give information when we want it in the form that we want it. Um, but no, that's it. That's it. Thanks, Jenny, for taking part in that. How are we doing, Will, with time and the the questions? Yeah, yeah, we're we're on track. Um, I just wanted to ask you, or really get your thoughts on you, you the point you've just made around CRM and data driven um, yeah. selling. Um, and I guess we we've had plenty of discussions more recently um, with the advent of you know AI and where does that where is that applied within the sort of selling methodology yeah uh, uh so to speak and i guess what you've just said well it's only ever going to be as good as the data that you capture yeah what you're sort of alluding to with your comment around crm um yeah uh, uh, that's right i mean it, we, we had a fantastic um presenter at our gst conference um, and it picks up, I think, on the, Lee's uh, comment here in chat. So I'd like to see ethical, which is, um, which is, you know, do you believe in the data that you're receiving? And uh, particularly when we start to look at things like predictive analytics, I mean, you have to be 100% confident that the data that you're actually getting is giving it to you in a form that can make you a better predictor of what the future business can be. Um, and if you've got a question mark about it, you will, you know, you won't use the data. You'll start to use your own intuition as to how the future lies. So I think that there are some, you know, sort of other surrounding issues around this whole governance issue of data and and the ethical dimension that Lee's kind of referring to, which is really important. Um, and it's something that we're, you know, as a company, we're looking at this, this question in some depth. We're beginning to, to look at, obviously, how can we use AI to automate some of the, um, some of the data that we have available? And how do you have the right governance process in place so, so that the data is accurate? And that you know that it's uh, been ethically sourced. Yeah. So I think it's a, a hugely important area and probably a topic of a lot of conversation as we come into 2024. Absolutely. I mean, AI, utilizing AI was number two, um, yes, it was. according yeah. to our respondents on our survey. Um, and do you think, therefore, now, are we going to see more requests to see AI governance models uh, or policies uh, during, you know, things like the RFP processes and, and things like that? You know, I'd, I'd be very surprised if we don't. You know, we haven't we haven't yet come up against any any RFPs that um, have that as a specific line, mm. you know, line item. Um, but um I honestly believe that uh, it will be coming and therefore um, 
selling organizations need to prepare now for for that uh, for for that question being asked and to have policy in place and to be able to yeah respond you know in a truthful way about what what their AI governance models are. Um, so yeah, I think it's something that's uh, that's going to come. Um, how quickly it'll come, I'm not sure, but it, for sure it's it's got to come, doesn't it? it? It just has to come at some point. I think the challenge that regulator, regulatory bodies have is having a, a sort of kind, kind of common framework for what good looks like as far as policy is concerned. Yep. And that is, was uh, very clearly demonstrated by Lenny, Lenny Montero when he was at the GST and which uh, those of you dialing in can get access to if you're really interested to learn more about about this topic. So that being said, to what extent should sales teams exercise caution on going sort of all in on AI? Well, I I think a lot of salespeople are using it every day now you know i think they're using it to help put presentations together i think they're using it to um put proposals forward um so i think that most salespeople are actually using it um it'll be interesting to uh to ask that question of of those attending go perhaps in chat could you could those of you in chat just just could you share the extent to which you think AI is being used in your own organizations at the moment. Um, that would be a really interesting feedback to get. Uh, shown as minimally, right. Sure, I don't know if you've tried using it yet, but it's, um, yeah. I've been I think a lot of definitely need to, to to understand, I think people managing others need to be there before the others, in a sense, to know how 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 these tools can help. But even if it's, you know, doing a SWOT analysis um, to get, you know, on customers that you want to sell to, um, it's incredible what you can draw upon from 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 AI tools, and it can it can help salespeople become more productive. Um, I can see, yeah, Lee's, Lee's begun to use it. Yeah, that's great. What about James? Gradually, but very ad hoc and team specific. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Like the beginning of the journey. Yeah. It's yeah. interesting, just from talking to students that we're working with, Will, and, you know, we're... We're seeing it sort of being highly, you know, used a lot. <laughs> I don't know whether it's just our students uh, <laughs> or a specific uh, demographic, but we're definitely seeing, when I say students, you know, delegates on courses, you know, talking about it. Yeah. Okay, let's move on. So uh, number three on our list of most important topics was um, ethical green selling. Uh, which, yeah yeah which I think is really important yeah I I think that um what's really what's really interesting I think this is gaining in importance I think organizations are 
really trying to get to grips with how to position their particular products in terms of of um you know what they're doing to support the environmental challenges that we face as a humanity but also net zero goals that might be set for their respective countries so this is this is quite interesting and i think that um you know we we've had master students for example who've completely changed the way they present the um roi of their solutions based around co2 reductions and so on appealing to clients and customers of theirs who are really driven by the sustainability um, kind of topic. And I think that we're beginning now to see at layers well below the sort of C-suite who are now having to publish their CA2 figures and so on, sustainability figures. We're now beginning to see uh, that filtering right down to, to salespeople. Um, so yeah, it was quite interesting. Again, going back to the the last GST event that we we ran, we had Royal Mail there, who have the largest uh, electrical fleet in the country, and they they kind of just done it. They hadn't broadcasted it, you know, as part of their sort of ROI articulation. But um, it was quite interesting to say that they were sitting on this sales asset that they have and perhaps not really promoting it as much as they could um but um no i think it's something that is is becoming more and more important yeah. i mean um i mean in in our world i mean we're a small business uh yes we've invested in solar energy panels you know for the roof of our office and we we're not a big user of energy in the context of of um you know our particular practice um we have run our own self-assessment a year ago of how energy efficient we are at a personal level which is quite interesting quite frightening um so i think there is a yeah i think definitely there is an awareness of sustainability and i think we can see it around us can't we with the incredible changes taking place to climate that we we've got to respond in a positive way so yeah we've um i'm gonna ask you a sort of curveball question now phil um yeah i thought i was going to avoid <laughs> one of your curveball questions so um net zero and you know the uk's ambition to become net zero by i can't remember the precise state but around 2030 do you think that has um that is an enabler for growth for uh you know great britain or is that something that is actually going to restrict growth well i think rishi sunak has backtracked a bit from from that particular sort of target particularly with the electrification and vehicles and so on so um uh, and so whether or not we reach that that target I think I'm slightly sceptical that we'll kind of reach it. Um, but it's got to be an enabler of growth. If if clients are actually basing their decisions on things that matter to them, and if what matters to them is sustainability, then we're going to lose out if we don't go down this route. So, mm. you know, for me, it's it's an important aspect of 
and what we do. I mean, one of the, you know, the very basic level, one of the things, going back to an earlier question about, about the um about about the pandemic and relationship building and and visiting customers. I mean, clearly, if you travel to see a customer, whether it's locally or internationally, you are going to be incurring, you know, sort of CA, your CO2 footprint is going to be enhanced. And I think the, you know, and it, you know, I used to do at least two or three flights every month to different parts of the world to go and, you know, either deliver workshops or see clients in different countries. And I'm kind of torn between this, this wanting to get back in front of people and see people face to face where I think the innovation happens in client relationships with, should I really be jumping on a plane and going to visit someone that, that I need to. And I, I, I think that this, I, yeah. So I think that what what I'm thinking is probably similar to others, you know, that, that I really think it's important to do things that may not be as sustainable as they could be. But I don't want to use that as an excuse for not going to physically meet people, you know, the sustainability angle. And one just hopes that sooner or later they'll invent aeroplanes that can run on hydrogen or whatever it might be. Yeah. Like all plastic as Virgin have done in order to power their flights. But the sooner that that can happen, the better. Yeah. Yeah. Will's um, just input it into the chat. Uh, there, there is a trend of returning to the office post pandemic. Um, and I guess, you know, organizations need to have the conversation around the green environmental benefits of work from home versus benefits of being in the office. Yeah, there's an awful lot on this, Will, that's happening in, you know, um, you're seeing it, you know, you know, the banks are kind of wanting people to return back to the city. You're seeing, uh, as far as the UK is concerned, the Mayor of London now sort of wanting to give cheaper train tickets. I, th I think we're at 70% of the Friday travel into London now compared to pre-pandemic levels and 80, 83% during the other days of the week. So you've got, you've got some interesting um pressures on well you're increasingly seeing more incentives for uh not incentives directives i think from customers wanting their workforce to actually come back to work um it's quite interesting talking to a client the other day they were saying that during the pandemic when people weren't asked to come into the office a lot of people moved away from the city they they've got bigger homes they've got greener spaces to live in they've got their children into you know local schools and those people are now having to come are being asked to come back at least three days a week into the office so um we're, we're actually seeing uh quite a lot of organizational imperatives to come back to the office but you know, people are going to be making their own decisions about whether they want to change their lifestyle and come back to the office, you know, based on the decisions that they've taken quite recently in the past. So I think there will be a genuine conversation around, you know, the green and the environment. Um, maybe, Will, they'll give you some um, uh, bikes to travel 
around on or, you know, mm. uh, to, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just talking your trend of returning to work and uh, the green environmental, you know, maybe there'll be more bike to work schemes or other schemes that will help reduce the CO2 footprint. Yeah, I don't know. Yes, you will be forgiven, Lee, for, for travelling to us. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then this is, a, I mean, interesting in itself. So the, the very fourth point on our poll that we took around trends in 2024, uh, clearly designed by our marketing team, was collaboration with marketing. And no one <laughs> voted for that as being... Ready an important really? topic to cover in 2024 <laughs> actually i hadn't uh yes i hadn't made that connection will so is eddie eddie's on the call i believe as our head of marketing hello yes hello so eddie what what do you make of that um i it's interesting obviously you know we we talk a lot about um perhaps uh more sales and marketing alignment um and, you know, there, uh, there, there's a flurry of reasons why I believe, you know, marketing and sales should be aligned. Um, but yeah, I'll be interested to, to run that poll again and perhaps we'll see if there are any changes to the answers. Um, yeah. But it could be, Eddie, that, that people feel that that's not so important because it's already working pretty well. Therefore, they've, they've ticked the other boxes. Well, I mean, that's my hope anyway. So, <laughs> yeah. Okay, that was very unfair, Will, to to spotlight Eddie on this one. I think you did actually. You did I? Okay, <laughs> okay, great. So, uh, I guess before, unless anyone has any, any other questions, I've noticed Shona actually. I've just seen Shona's ask one question. Oh, okay. And, um, okay. your comments regarding CRM. Oh, uh, right. Yeah, so Sharon mentioned, I absolutely agree that it's hard to measure the ROI um, and it takes a lot of investment and time to have robust and accurate data. However, do you feel that without this, a sales team would or could fail? Uh, yes, Sharon, the answer is, yeah, yes, I do. Um, but it's, um, I don't think companies should underestimate the effort it takes to get a CRM working well in order to see the kind of economic benefit of it. Um, but not having a CRM is going to be even worse. If you know, it's like a, it's like a hygiene It's something that is a hygiene factor as we, you know, coming back to sort of um, Hertzberg's uh, sort of motivational levels. It's one of those things you actually have to have, but once you have it, you you kind of take it for granted. It's like, a, it's it just, you just got to have it. Um, um, but the, uh, the, 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 the benefit of CRM is like Will was saying earlier on, like you were saying earlier on, Will, it, it, it's the, quality of the questions that you're asking of your CRM to give you intelligence it can help you make use of the data and again I'm, I'm going to go back to the fantastic GST event that we had and we had Offa Zilberman talking about uh, data-driven insights and ideal customer personas 
And if you've got the time, I'd recommend you took a quick look at, at, at his presentation. I think it's in the, the chat comment from George. You've got the link to the YouTube channel that we've got now. But it's it's really interesting. And I think if you needed any kind of belief that CRM is a critical factor, just listen to Offer's presentation and you'll know you need to have it. But you also need to have have it set up to give you the information that will enable you to progress business. So, yeah. Super. Okay, I see we, I mean, we don't have any other questions, Phil. Okay. So um, thank you very much for your time. Very insightful as always. I hope thank everyone you. else enjoyed it. And um, please join us for our next AMA. And um challenge Phil accordingly. <laughs> I think you've all been quite good to me on this call. So looking forward to a tougher challenge next time. But anyway, very nice to meet you all virtually. And uh, just one, yeah. one more question from Eddie in the chat. Oh, sorry, I didn't see that. <laughs> so Eddie asked, what do you think companies need to do to invest more in their people this year? Companies tend to spend hundreds of and thousands on software and tools designed to help people perform. But I can't help but feel that companies really need to start at the leadership level, as these are the people who are managing the teams who are using these tools. Right. I think a lot of companies underestimate what it takes to transform their business. And I think that, you know, a lot of this word transformation is obviously it is historically linked very much to digital transformation. And there's often a complete lack of appreciation of what it takes to underpin that digital transformation initiative with winning the hearts and the minds, the people who have to use it. Um, so I think that this whole topic of how to lead employees through transformation is an important one and Eddie I would agree that there is sometimes a disconnect between what the leadership want to affect in an organization and what actually happens you know because they haven't invested enough time in developing and equipping you know the organization to understand what it takes to transform and it and the time it takes to transform um, so yeah it's a really really good question yeah. Thank you, Eddie. Yeah. Great. Okay. Well, I think on that note, we're just about finished, Will. I think so. Thank Let you. you.